listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lees. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. Holy mother of God. That was dramatic. Welcome back to another flippin' episode. Well, imagine if we... Dang. Dang, tootin'. Cahootin, rootin, rootin, tootin, behootin. Sausage face. Sausages. That was a really weird What were you going to say? I don't know. Okay, cool. Welcome back to the show, you people. Welcome, 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 welcome. Another week, another episode, another uh, horrible crime that we divulge into, as always. Yeah. Um. Another week in lockdown. Another week in lockdown for us, and it's looking like it's going to be Another extended four. as well. So Another four of them. Pray so for us. Stay tuned to just listen to our sanity erode even further than it already has. Yeah. Fantastic. Not that there's much left of it. Anyway, welcome to Best Served Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. I'm one of your... Amazing hosts, Laura Elise, and I lost my mood ring and I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> and Tamatoa is my name. Crippling depression is my game. <laughs> wow. We're coming in hard with the intros today. Coming in hot. Very hot. My brain no longer, I no longer have thoughts. It's just TikTok sounds. Yeah. Our lives have just been taken over slowly but surely. And we are very pleased to let you know the TikTok is not ready yet. But it's being but made. But we've started. We've started it, yes. Well, actually, there is an account you can follow. You can follow the account. There is just no content on there, but there is soon to be content on there. It's coming. I've actually been working on a, a few little videos for it. Um, it takes a little bit longer than I've anticipated, so I just need to streamline it a little bit more, and then we'll have consistent content on I also don't think it helps that you're a bit of a perfectionist when it comes no. to... No, so when it comes to like... Things like that. Especially video editing, because I am a video editor and a photographer and that kind of stuff. Like, it, when it comes to that shit, I'm like, nah, not good enough? No, not happening. Mm. But you can follow it. It is there. Do so. And we'll be very happy. Is it just the same handle? The, the same handle. The BSC podcast? Yeah. Yeah, so chuck us a follow on TikTok. Oh, Tama's confirming. I believe it is the BSC. It might just be BSC. I'll have to double check that. How dare you? you got to make it right for continuity, Tama. Um, while Tama's looking at that, I'm going to let you know some of the backup puns I had for my intro this morning. I was going to say, I don't trust stairs because they're always up to something. <laughs> nice. So what if I don't know what apocalypse means? It's not the end of the world. Yep. Becoming a vegetarian is one big missed steak. <laughs> These are really good. I was wondering why the ball was getting bigger. Then it hit me. <laughs> that was my second favorite. But I went with, uh, I lost my mood ring and I don't know yeah. how I feel about it. We are in fact also the BSC podcast on TikTok. The BSC podcast checked. on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Basically everything. We've kept it nice and streamlined across everything so you can obsessively follow us. Yeah. So if you want to chuck us a follow on TikTok so you're ready and there for the grand premiere of our content when it finally gets around. In true typical us fashion, Tama is working on serious things and I'm working on shitty memes. Memes, yeah. So we'll see how we go. Yeah. Do we have any other things to mention? I don't think so. Start? I mean, it's all... Oh, just a little uh, disclaimer at the start that we've started yes. doing. If you are someone who doesn't like swearing, we would suggest maybe this is not the show for you because we do swear quite a bit. Uh, so if you are offended by the Fs and the Ss, this might not be the show for you. Yeah, so you should definitely not listen to this show. We appreciate your patronage, <laughs> but you probably won't enjoy the show. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. without further ado... Let's get right fucking into it. (laughs) Uh, So, my case this week is actually taking me to my roots, Um, all the way over to Aotearoa in New Zealand. 
Um, this I was is like, a, where are you going with so this? This is a case that happened in Auckland, of all places as well, which is where my family is from okay. um, originally. My, my family are Ngāti Whātua Māori, um, coming from Auckland. So um, this is a case that I sort of instantly looked at and went, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> weirdly. It's my people. Weirdly, like, um, connecting to this case because it has a connection to my heritage and my people um so this case is very sad and very interesting and very um just shows you the level of technology these days so this all happens around like the two, the late 2010s okay. to 2008 this mainly happened around 2018 and this case is so fascinating because nearly every single facet of it is captured on cctv footage oh that's yeah. sad well, not those parts, right. but okay. nearly everything that pertains to what happens or in the people involving is captured on CCTV footage. Gotcha. It's very interesting. I encourage people to look this case up and watch videos on it because there are, there's a plethora of CCTV footage out there and interview footage of him um, on there. But anyway, to jump right into it, I want to talk about um, Grace... Mullane. She was born in Wickford in Essex. She was born 2nd of December, 1996. Her father owned a successful construction business and their family lived a relatively normal, well-off life. She had uh, two brothers, just a normal, you know, family run-of-the-mill thing. In September 2018, she successfully graduated from the University of Lincoln with a bachelor's degree in advertising and marketing. And while she was studying for a degree, she had a part-time job that she mainly used to save up for what she planned to be a year of traveling the world after her graduation, kind of like a post-graduation leap year thing. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, She was described as a very happy and creative person, and she often would paint in her spare time. She was very uh, into painting, had a lot of videos on her social media of doing so. And before leaving for a trip, she even cut off her long hair and donated it to children undergoing cancer treatment. Oh, so the, she's um, like a really nice Very nice person. person, yeah. So, world's greatest shape. I don't know if that's a, a big thing outside of Australia. I'm not too sure. I don't know if that was the actual... Maybe just quickly explain it to people who don't Yeah. Understand. So, I don't know if this was actually what she did because it... Cause or what it is called in the UK. But mm. in Australia, we have the world's greatest shea, which I don't know if it's a worldwide thing or not. But that is just where you basically cut off your hair and you donate the hair to a charity. And you and also raise money. You also raise money for the charity, but also that hair gets um, sent to a wig maker. So they use these real hair and they convert them to wigs to give to children who are undergoing cancer treatment. Um, so that's basically what this charity was in the UK. Yeah. Soon after that, she boarded her flight and was off to Peru. So she visited South America for about six weeks and had a great time there, met a lot of friends along the way, took a lot of photos. And on November the 20th, she decided it was, um, she traveled to her next stop. It was time to move on to the next country. And she landed in the North Island of, of New Zealand, um, which in Reo Maori is the Ikao Maui, which is describes the North Island. Um, and fun Side fact, because, and you're going to get a lot of these because this is my, this your is my steez. Um, the Maori word for New Zealand is Aotearoa, which originally was just meant to be the North Island, but now includes Encompasses both. everything. Um, and Aotearoa translates to land of the long white cloud. So she eventually travels to Auckland on the 30th of November. She basically just took in the city and the country with no real agenda, just sort of going about her life, doing her things. And her next flight was booked in about five days' time by this point. It was now December the 1st and it was the weekend. And the next next day um, over was going to be her birthday, the 2nd of December. So she was traveling by herself, a sole traveler, she would often have to sort of look to social media apps to find people to hang out with, you know, people like her. Um, she wanted to sort of celebrate her birthday coming up. Mm. So she took to several apps, one of them being Tinder. And she, on this occasion, she linked up with and matched with a man named Jesse Kempson. They messaged each other over Tinder, um, you know, 
Jessie eventually asks her, do you want to go out for some drinks? And mm. she's a bit hesitant at the start, reluctant, kind of like, oh, I'm not really going to commit to anything. But re- at, eventually she kind of agrees to going out to have a few drinks with them. Mm. So he, he suggests meeting up at Sky City in Auckland. Um, and they do just that. They meet up in Sky City. It's this big like area in the central of the city. Um, now, like I said, nearly every single facet of this content or this what i'm describing to you is on cctv footage Mm. because in the city specifically in auckland as well there's a whole lot of cameras everywhere literally everywhere this is a major city in new zealand it was originally going to be the 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 capital of Mm. new zealand this is a big city yeah auckland it's huge um so there's just cameras literally everywhere and they capture every single part of this story essentially so they meet up and through the um cctv footage you can see them sharing a hug and they walk off to andy's burger bar for a few cocktails um at the start conversation seems fresh they're kind of like getting to know each other but after a few drinks and talking for a while they open up a bit more and eventually after a few more drinks they move on to a mexican restaurant for a couple more cocktails specifically two jugs of margarita and one of sangria all Go of which, my own heart. oh yeah, all of which was ordered and paid for by Jesse. Next, they moved on to the Blue Stone Room, and by now the two was ha- well, they were having a really good time. They seemed to be enjoying each other's company. Um, they ordered a few beers. They were talking back and forth, and at some point, you can even see them kissing each other. Mm-hmm. Um, as Jesse took a bathroom break. Grace sent a text to one of her friends back in England describing how well her and Jesse were clicking. Um, literally saying, like, he, I, he, I just click with him. So, he, she had heard from him that he was having plans to eventually move over to England for this sort of oil company opportunity he had. Um, so, she was hoping to make, like, you know, a... a long-lasting friendship out of this, Mm. like a a friend that she could hang out with back in England. So she was very excited. Um, Eventually, Jesse invites her back to his apartment nearby. He lives a couple blocks away. CCTV footage also catches them entering the lobby of Jesse's hotel because she obliges. Mm. Um, You can actually see in the footage as well, them walking into the hotel lobby. Jesse's got her arm around you know, Grace's shoulder and she's holding his hand. They're just talking. They seem pretty close. They enter the elevator and exit onto his floor. Now, this specific CCTV footage is the very last time you would ever see Grace alive. The next day was Grace's birthday. She received several texts and messages on social media wishing her a happy birthday. However... None of the messages were being delivered to her phone, as if it was turned off. Mm. Soon after, her friends and family began to become worried because she was always keeping a regular contact with them. And after three days later, they reported her uh, to the New Zealand police and she was reported missing. The hotel she was staying at in New Zealand uh, reported that she did not come back to her room the night of her disappearance. The police were on the hunt trying to find her and eventually it would lead them to the CCTV footage and that eventually led them to Jesse Kempson. Before I touch on that though, just a little little bit on Jesse Kempson. He was born on December 28th, 1991. He grew up in Wellington. His parents were separated when he was about nine years old. Um, he stayed with his father while his mum took his brother and moved to Australia. He appears to have had a pretty rough childhood, uh, apparently an abusive father subjected to physical and emotional violence. Uh, this as well as being estranged from most of his family and his Maori heritage. It's a pretty psychologically damaging thing. Mm. In 2013, he was accused of stealing from the family home in Wellington and soon after he moved out. He moved to Australia for a bit and worked as a labourer, but things didn't really pan out. So, in 2016, he moved back to New Zealand, this time to Auckland. He moved into a couple of flats here and there. One um, actually had a lot. They had several interviews with um, different news outlets, mm. and they described him as always having women over that he met on Tinder. 
um, was lied about so many things, had a mood swings, and right. they felt really uncomfortable having all these women over constantly because it was like having strangers in their home like nearly every day. Yeah, which I would get. Um, so after an argument with his housemates, he moved out and moved to a small studio apartment in the center of Auckland City. Now, as I mentioned before, he had a bit of a lying issue. He was a pathological liar. Saying things to his housemates like he and his dad were in the restaurant business and they owned a string of restaurants and they were looking to buy one here in Auckland. He would lie to basically everyone around him, but mostly he would use his lies when striking up conversations with women. As I mentioned before, he was a bit of a womanizer, Mm -hmm. matching with women on Tinder, basically just sort of finding out different aspects of their personality and lying about who he was to sort of match that a bit. Yeah. Uh, he lied to Grace basically the entire night he was with her. At some point, he was telling her he was a All Blacks rugby player, an oh, oil executive, a member of a gang. Uh, he even claimed to have cancer and that both of his parents were dead. Oh, you just... No, you don't... That's just not... Yeah. No. Um, he even goes on to tell her that he has a law degree and he would talk about his plans to buy a waterfront restaurant. Now, this is going back to the the day of Grace's birthday. CCTV footage at some point finds Jesse... Oh, sorry. Um, this is still in the restaurant. Um, CCTV footage at some point finds Jesse searching through Grace's bag as she goes to the bathroom. Creepy. Um, just looking through, trying to find something. Now, in reality, Jesse had a series of job failures and... Sh- and um, had gone through several different share houses. At some point, he had been a barman, a sales rep, and most recently, a telephone salesman, all of which he had been fired from. Most recently, the telephone salesman, he had actually been fired from that job the day he met up with Grace. Mm. Not a good sign. So, what is known about what happened in the room of Jesse's apartment that night that Grace went in is widely unknown. All that we know for sure is that she was raped and murdered. Which is, I mean, that's enough to know It's enough to know that it's... That's awful. But the details of which are still unclear because to this day, Jesse pleads his innocence. Right. At around 8 a.m., So, the day of Grace's birthday, Jesse was caught on CCTV footage leaving his apartment. At 8.07 a.m., he was seen entering a supply store, and there he bought a large suitcase and took it back to his apartment. At 8.32 a.m., he was seen again visiting a Woolworths supermarket buying bleach, rubber gloves, and other such cleaning supplies. At 9.33 a.m., he called a taxi to a rental company, and just to reiterate on this whole security footage thing. There's even recordings of him inside the taxi. This is how they know all these things. He caught this taxi because there is security footage of him inside the taxi. Right. And he looks visibly worried, just sort of freaking out. So he catches the rent- the taxi to a rental car company. He hires a red Toyota Corolla and takes it back to his hotel. Now, just want to ask you, Laura, and you listeners at home, if you pay attention... What do you think he did next after coming home? With the cleaning supplies, with the suitcase, what do you think he did? Just give me a rough idea. What do you think? I would say he would have been inside for an hour or two and then he came out with the suitcase. You'd think so, but you're wrong. Okay. While Grace lay dead in her his apartment with all these cleaning supplies and all the suitcase, just whatever, he went on another Tinder date. Oh, that's so creepy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Imagine being, like, obviously it's absolutely awful for Grace. Yes. But imagine being the girl on the second date. Just knowing that there is a dead woman inside his apartment while you were on a date with him. Oh, that yeah. gives me the shivers. Yeah. At about 7.30 p.m., he was again captured on CCTV footage rent- parking his rental car in his apartment complex. Um, he takes a rental carpet cleaner up to his apartment around 8.28 p.m. and returns at half an hour later. At 9.30 p.m., he could be seen using one of the baggage carrier things. I don't know what they're called. You know, those luggage carriers? 
no. you see bellhops use? Oh, yeah. I don't know what they're called, no idea but what they're called. he's using one of those. it's like a luggage trolley. Yeah, I have no idea what it's called. Don't give a fuck. I always feel really fancy when I'm at hotels and they use Yes. Them, so basically, he's using one of these to wheel two large suitcases into the elevator and down to his rental car. Um, now, he travels to Kumo, to, uh, so Kumo in Auckland. And in the morning, he was again spotted on CCTV footage at a supply store and buys a shovel. He drove to a location off Scenic Drive in Auckland to the uh, Waitakere Ranges and buries her body inside the regional park within the Waitakere Ranges. Throughout the day, he goes to the dry cleaners, cleans his rental car and returns it back. On the 5th of of December, he disposes of all of Grace's belongings into a bin at one of the local parks. And... Just again, to reiterate, this is all on cameras. Mm. Every single aspect of it. So they, on the December the 6th, police had narrowed down Grace's last known whereabouts to Star City Hotel in Auckland. They entered the hotel inquiring about a Jesse Kempson who was wanted for questioning. At the same time, Jesse was returning to the hotel from a nearby shopping center. He walks up to the lobby and notices that the police inside. So he attempts to sort of walk off unnoticed, like he hadn't seen them, just kind of looking away super chill and police immediately identify him run after him and arrest him now he's in for questioning and his apartment's being searched using luminol they find blood stains all throughout the carpet big puddle of it splotches they'd all try to be clean up with bleach and whatever you can't hide it from luminol though mm. in his first interview with police he tried to lie to police about um, where he had been in his whereabouts during the night of Grace's disappearance. Again, when he was brought back two days later for further questioning, his story was completely different, stating he was in fact with Grace, but he did not kill her. Following CCTV footage and a and the dates from Jesse's phone, investigators eventually found Grace's body in a shallow grave 50 meters away from the road in Waikato, uh, Waikato Ranges in Regional Park. When the news hit, the whole country was shook. Thousands of people in New Zealand attended vigils for Grace, and even the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinta Ardern, gave a tribute um, to Grace and her family, apologised to the family for what had happened to her daughter in her country. Mm. Literally apologises. And you can see it really visibly shook her up. It was eventually revealed that Jesse had previously sexually assaulted another British tourist eight months before he had murdered Grace. She had kept the assault to herself until she saw his face on the news and what he had done. During the trial, the arguments um, on Jesse's defense uh, attorneys put forward was that Grace had died accidentally as a result of rough sex that went too far. Right. Right. However, proving he was not distressed with having a body in his apartment, a detective read out how Jesse had spent his time after murdering Grace. Again, what do you think he did? Well, yeah, you told us. He went to the shops, he went on another day. This is this is the day after. What do you think he did directly after killing her? I don't know, went to sleep. He took pictures of her body, looked oh. up pornography. Oh no. On his phone. No, 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 no. Looked up several other things on the internet, including rigor mortis, Waitakere Rangers, hottest fire, large bags near me, and flesh-eating birds. Jesus Christ. I mean, flesh-eating birds, that's pretty creative. There aren't. I don't think there are any. I don't any think in, there are any flesh-eating birds. But, I mean, that's a creative take on Crows, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Magpies eat meat, but I don't think they eat. Yeah, but basically, this proves that he was not like, "Oh my god, I killed her! What do I do? Call an ambulance?" Well, that's what you would do if you had had rough sex and you thought you'd accidentally killed someone. You'd be like, "Oh shit!" Call the ambulance straight away. Yeah. So basically, this detective's like, "Yeah, that didn't happen." Yeah. There's no fucking way. Wow, I can't believe you I just said, said that. said it. <laughs> We're going to have to bleep that out. A year oh. and a half and you finally said it. Damn. Oh, we did. We, I thought we it was going to be me that said it. Damn, I snapped. 
snapped. I couldn't. Wow. There you go. It finally slipped. I mean, it was bound to happen. We say it it so much. We do. In regular conversation. It's just, it's second nature to us. That's uh, like when we first started dating and after like nine months, a little fart slipped out. <laughs> That's, that was my verbal fart. Yeah. So, on the 22nd of November of 2019, Jesse Kempson was found guilty of the, for the murder of Grace Milan. He was also further convicted for nine total charges of rape, sexual violation, threatening to kill, and assault in two sexual violence trials before a judge in October and November 2020. Good. That were independent of the Milano case. These were different instances with different women. Uh, he faced he faces imprisonment for life with a minimum of 17 years before parole. Now. What I just said before, we had those different cases. He had an ex-girlfriend that sort of testified against him saying that he enjoys rough sex um, and was very, like, violent, sexually mm. violent, violent, um, threatened her with a knife and chased her around the house with a knife. Jesus. Plethora of things. Yeah. This as well as, like, several other Tinder dates that um, came forward as well saying that when they had met up and had sex, that he was very violent and rough in bed as well, seeming a lot enjoying choking and but going a bit too far with it. Mm. One um, of which actually said that she was frozen in fear on the bed while he sort of did his thing. Um, really it's, disgusting stuff. Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this case is this: the trial was basically went for like or from the time he was arrested to when he was finally like convicted of all the all the charges mm. it was about maybe 2 years or so oh, just wow. shy of 2 yeah. years during this time New Zealand had this ban for all the press to not include his name to not impede on the trial they wanted yeah. a fair trial so they said don't include his name so all the press in New Zealand went no worries cool this is a law that only New Zealand could enforce. Yeah. Everywhere else, whatever. You can do whatever you want. Mm. So, press in England published his name everywhere. They, they found his name. It was a hot Google search. They all knew his name at some point. And um, several uh, press companies and individuals in New Zealand sort of followed suit and they all got fined out the arse for doing so. But it was really crazy because... This case was one of New Zealand's worst kept secrets in terms of his name. Mm. It just leaked everywhere. Um, and fortunately, it did not impede on his trial. He did get the sentence that they were looking for. And he is in jail to this day. Good. Um, very, very interesting person. During his trial for the, the subsequent charges, not Grace's murder... He actually told um, the judge that he was full of shit while he was reading out his sentencing. Jesus. Saying, you're full of shit, mate. Yeah, and that's Oof. that's the case of the disappearance of Grace Milan. Um, very sad story happening in my roots of an area. Mm. It's interesting because I feel like New Zealand is one of those places where it's just so small and quiet that you just don't think of things like that well, happening I mean, there. And then you obviously had the Christchurch yeah. shooting. Let let all those instances tell you how rare of an occurrence it is and how impactful it is for that to happen. Mm. Like when this happened, having the prime minister of the country apologize to you personally in like a, like a press conference crying. Having um, Jacinta Ardern after the Christchurch shootings, dressed in a hijab, um, talking to the families of the the people affected. Like, this is not only a good leader, she's a fantastic leader. Love her. She's just empathetic, which really should... She's a fucking badass. If you don't know about Jacinta Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, she's a fucking badass. Um, And just a really good leader. But... Also shows you how heavy things like these are in yeah. countries like this. There was a lot of criticism around the press as well um, when this case hit because um, a lot of 
Maldi and Islander and just um, ethnic people living in New Zealand sort of criticize all the media for, for going hard with all this sort of press around grace when, you know, cases with indigenous New Zealanders yeah. just kind of kind of go underneath the rug. There's, there's a lot of issues throughout the years of like any real country with, um, you know, the, the traditional Colonized. custodians and the colonization of each country. But there was a whole lot of criticism towards the um, press of New Zealand about how you know, they kind of treated this compared to Māori women and Islander women, you know, being kidnapped and murdered. So, something to think about, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's similar in all countries. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, it feels like the deaths of Indigenous people are very often swept under the rug. News is very whitewashed when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, it also plays into the whole uh, narrative of the innocent white woman that's exactly what they said they said that the whole idea of it being a white woman because she's like angelic and Mm. beautiful and innocent whereas like an indigenous woman is less than that the whole idea of that is just preposterous and disgusting it's very sad um yeah fortunately racism is a huge thing and in many countries specifically with traditional custodians of countries and it's just kind of a gross thing um, but anyway, that was my case. That was very sad. Was very, I don't know, very sad. It was nice to sort of metaphorically, in spirit, return to my, to this Probably country. Probably not in the nicest way. Not in the nicest way, but at least, you know, something to do with New Zealand. Um, right. Well, we'll take a little short break. Yep. And then we'll be back. And I'll do my story. We shall be back. Okie dokie doke. Welcome Welcome back. back. Uh, we hope you have had a great little pee break, little or a water little break, drink break, or I mean, you're probably just listening through anyway. Probably Not because taking any break. you're driving, it, it, maybe a podcast or commuting yeah. or does anyone actually break life? in between podcasts? I don't think so. No, I don't know. You were the one that wanted to put the break in. I probably wanted to put it in because I need to pee constantly. But we could literally just pause the recording and no one would. Ever know. Yeah, but it's nice having a little like that little break in between the so cases. So they can picture well. us peeing. Yeah, I want you to go over the picture of me peeing. Um, if you hear a weird little sound effect in my case, it is because I accidentally dropped a C bomb, and I don't think we're ready to put that on the show yet. No, well, we promised people that we never, we never would put that we on. Never yeah. would. Um. So. So, we're going to spare your ears of such, such talk. And put a little sound effect in between. Because, yeah. That's that's just what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Let's, uh, what's your, what's your, what you got there, Laura? What you so, got? What you got? What you got? What you got there? So, in true me fashion, as of like 11.30am this morning, I was doing a completely different case. And then I saw on the news that something about this case had happened. So I decided it's always been on my list of like cases I knew I was going to do. Okay. Also, I'm just reminded constantly why I decided to stop drinking fizzy drinks. Because you're hiccuping? Because I just keep needing to We had a seltzer to begin this podcast. Anyway, so I am doing Rodney Alcala, also known as the dating game killer. So he actually died today. Oh, 24th of July, 2021. Good riddance. He kicked the bucket. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to do, as always, our little backstory. So Akala was born in Texas in 1943. Uh, He had a pretty, from what I could tell, pretty normal childhood, mainly just a bit patchy. So Mm -hmm. his father ended up leaving him, his mother and his two sisters when he was about 11. After this, the family moved to LA and at age 17, Rodney decides to join the army. Which ding 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 is As one of do. our yeah, number many one. red flags that we oh, seem yeah. to notice that these people share. 
So he became a clerk in 1961. However, his army career was quite short-lived. In 1964, Akala suffered what he called a nervous breakdown. He deserted and he hitchhiked back to his mother's house. After being seen by a military psychiatrist, he is discharged on medical grounds on the grounds of they diagnose him with borderline personality disorder. Right. So after this short stint in the army, uh, Akala adopts the pseudonym John Berger and studies film at NYU. So he moves to New York and goes to study film. Okay. As you do. As you do. Weird coincidence, he studies under the tutelage of Roman Polanski, who, if you know, Roman Polanski was the uh, husband of Sharon Tate, who was murdered by the Manson family. In 1968, Arkala commits his first known violent crime. Eight-year-old Tali Shapiro is on her way home from school when Arkala lures her into his car and abducts her. Some witnesses who saw this happen and do the right thing track his car back to his apartment where they call the police. Sadly, by the time the police arrive, Rodney had already raped Tali and he escapes out the back door of his apartment. Thankfully, she survives. Arkala is placed on the FBI's most wanted list and he officially goes on the run. It's during this time when he's on the run in New York City, Arkala is believed to have raped and strangled Cornelia Crilly, a flight attendant in her apartment. He is eventually tracked down, extradited and charged. However, by this time, Tali and her family had moved to Mexico and her parents would not allow her to testify. So he's given the much, much lesser sentence of assault and he's placed in jail for... What they called, which I read was apparently quite a popular thing in the 70s, was to give them an indeterminate sentencing. So it basically meant we keep you in jail until we believe you are, quote, rehabilitated. Right. Which... Never works out. Unsurprisingly, he was not. Yeah. So he is released from prison after 34 months after proving himself to be, quote, rehabilitated. Less than two months after his relief... Release, rather. Mm. Arkala kidnaps a 13-year-old girl called Julie. He forces her to smoke pot with him and kisses her against her will. Thankfully, as far as I could see, it didn't go any further than that. Okay. In spite of this, though, in his prior record of rape, he's only arrested for smoking as a violation of his parole. Smoking pot. The fuck? He is placed in jail for another two years. Again, he's released when he's deemed rehabilitated. Isn't that fucking insane? His parole officer, in his wise judgment, allows Arkala to travel to New York, where it's believed uh, he commits his second murder. Just a week after his arrival, 23-year-old New York socialite Ellen Jane Hoover, or Hover, goes missing. Her date book showed that evening, the one of her disappearance, she was due to go on a date with a John Berger, and she was never seen again. While police did question Arkala on this crime, after eventually linking him to the alias John Berger... As Ellen's body at that time had not yet been found, he's released. After this, he moves back to L.A. and he gets a job at the L.A. Times. It's during this period where he becomes a self-professed... Yeah, this dude has had like 85 lives. What the fuck? You get whiplash listening to this story. So it's this time he decides he wants to become a photographer. So he shows off his work to his colleagues and they're all kind of like all these people are naked. So basically he's photographing men, women, boys, girls in either complete nude or in their underwear or bathers. But you can't do that. He convinces hundreds of people, hundreds, that he's a professional fashion photographer and he gets them to pose for him under the guise of him building his portfolio and he convinces them like, you know, you're really pretty. You could be a model. Like, do you want to shoot for me and I'll take the photos and you can have it for your modeling book and I'll keep it for my photographer book. To this day, police have fears that many of the around 120 photos may actually be identities of some of the hundreds of cold cases in the LA County. Wow. Because of course there are thousands thousands of of them. them. More recently, around... Sorry, there are more photos, but more recently around 120 of the less explicit photos were released to the public in hopes that those in them will either come forward and identify themselves as alive and confirm if they were a victim of his, whether he assaulted or raped them, or that family members will come forward and identify missing or murdered people. Approximately 21 women have come forward and identified themselves and six families have claimed that photo contains a long-lost family member. Wow. 
Despite the fact that he's got a pretty intense criminal record, in 1978, he's invited to participate in a popular TV dating show called The Dating Game, footage of which is available on YouTube. Yo. He's introduced on the game as a, quote, successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the darkroom at the age of 13, fully (laughs) developed. Between takes, you might find him skydiving or motorcycling. (laughs) What? That's how he's introduced on the show. Dude. Like, he is bachelor number one. So he's actually bachelor number one is his position. Fuck. He wins. He wins the show. You're kidding. Thankfully, though, the contestant never actually goes through with her date with him, rejecting him because she finds him, quote, incredibly creepy. Oh, yeah, of course. Girl listened to her gut yeah. and potentially saved her own life. Yeah. And it's this rejection that many criminal profilers suspect was behind the flurry of three murders within the next two years that follows this. Right. So the first two murders are linked to Arcala later after he's arrested. However, the tragic death of 12-year-old Roman... Robin... I can't speak tonight... 12-year-old girl Robin Samso, who's from Huntington Beach, is what finally leads to his arrest. So Robin disappears on June 20th, 1979, somewhere between hanging out with her friends at the beach and going to ballet class. Just under two weeks later, her decomposing body is found. Robin's friends reported to the police that a man had approached them at the beach and tried to convince them to get into their swimsuits so that he could take pictures of them. A neighbor who spotted the interaction chased the man away. A sketch of the man is taken by Robin's friends and is circulated. Ankala is identified by his former parole officer, and another park ranger also said he'd seen a man leading a young girl down to a stream in the park on June 20th, and when showed the sketch, also identifies Alcala. Hmm. Rodney Alcala is formally arrested on July 24th. Police search the home of Alcala's mother, and they find a receipt for a storage locker, and in turn, they also search this. Inside, they find hundreds of photos, mainly of young girls, usually naked or dressed in swimmers, and he himself is incriminatingly in some of the photos. That's a brookie move. The locker also contains a pair of earrings, which are later identified as belonging to Robin. The second of Alcala's murders is also uncovered when another pair of earrings is found, and these are eventually traced back to Charlotte Lamb, a 31-year-old woman who'd been murdered in the laundry room of her apartment building in 1978. Akala is originally only tried for Robin's murder and is found guilty and sentenced to death. This original sentence is overturned not once, but twice. How does it get... What? The first time the sentence is overturned because jurors are informed of his criminal past. So despite the fact that the verdict is guilty, it's deemed not usable. The case is thrown out and retried because the jurors have been contaminated. Essentially. Right. Okay. A second guilty verdict is found in 1986. This again is overturned after a witness had against court orders commented that they believed the park ranger had been hypnotized into a false sighting of Alcala by police investigators. (sighs) So I'm pretty sure that means that like... That juror is a fucking idiot? No, no, no. The judge had been to the witness was like, you can't say that. And then they said it anyway in court. And then the lawyer was like, I object. But by the time something's been said, like the human brain yeah. can't just conveniently forget something. Like, so he's found guilty, oh, he said but again, it's overturned. Right. Okay. This is it's 1986. Finally, incredible. in 2003, when the final trial is being planned against Alcala. <sighs> Against his wishes, his DNA is again sampled because obviously by 2003 there was vastly superior oh, processes. Much better. Yep. And he's linked to a further three victims Jill Barcom, an 18 year old who was found murdered in a Los Angeles ravine in 1977 and was originally thought to have been a victim of the Hillside Strangler, which Rodney Alcala was questioned by the Hillside Strangler Task Force. Oh. Georgia Wickstead, who was 27 and was bludgeoned to death in her apartment in 1977, and Jill Parento, who was 21 years old and she was killed in her Burbank apartment in 1979. Finally, in 2010, wow, Arcala is tried for all five murders and found guilty and sentenced to death, and this time it finally sticks. I think 
2010, Rodney Arcala had given up. He decides to act as his own attorney for his final trial. Of course he does. He takes the stand in his own defense and plays the roles of both interrogator and witness, asking himself questions in a put-on voice and then answering them. No way. Yeah. So he's like, did you do it? No, I didn't. <laughs> like... What the fuck is this man? His defense for Robin's disappearance is that at the time she disappeared, he was at a berry farm in Knott's Berry. Uh, Knott's Berry Farm. Not a berry farm. Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> taking photos when she disappeared. Sure you were, mate. He also uses footage from his appearance on the dating game to try and prove that the earrings found in the storage room don't belong to Robin but one of the other male bachelors from the show. Because he's like... I remember talking to this guy and it was a scandal that a man in the 70s would be wearing just, earrings. Just take my word for it. It's all good. However, for the other crimes, his, his only defense is that he doesn't remember killing any women. That's his defense. That's not a good defense. It's not a good defense. That's a very bad defense, in fact. So he is unsurprisingly found guilty. Yeah. Because if he, wasn't, because. If he was found guilty the first two times when he had a proper lawyer, yeah. of course he was the third time. Of course time. he was the third time. So he's found guilty, and then in 2011, he's extradited back to New York and formally charged with the murders of Ellen Hover and Cornelia Crilly, which he pleads guilty to, and he's given another life sentence. In September 2016, Arcala received his final sentence, that of the murder of Christine Thornton, who'd been a cold case since her body was found in 1982, five years after she disappeared. Her death was able to be solved after a family member identified Christine from one of the photos. Wow. There you go. One last odd fact about this dude. During his imprisonment, he has attempted to sue the California penal system not once but twice. The first time was for a slip and fall accident and the second because they refused to provide him with a low-fat diet in prison. Look, mate, you, they don't give a fuck about you. Just shut up. At the time of his death, today, July 24th, 2021, Arcala was still on death row due to die for his crimes. However, at age 77, he died of natural causes. Right, okay. As of July 2021, the unidentified people from Arcala's photos are still available online in the hopes that more victims or their families may be identified and put to rest. Mm. Maybe he died from cholesterol. Maybe. Yeah, what you, you never get know. When you don't have a low-fat diet. Yeah, no, that's on those prison guards' minds, I guess. And that... Is Rodney Oncala the dating game killer? I feel like I talked really fast in that. No, no, I that didn't. was. I okay. mean, we're still running pretty, pretty good time. Okay. Um. Yeah. Wow. Amazing that he was on the dating game. That is. And you insane. can you can YouTube and look up the footage, and he does indeed look very creepy. The craziest thing about these cases is, you hear all the things inside, and you go, "How the fuck is this not?" More well known. Mm. Like, I'd never heard of this case. How have I never heard of this? It's wild, hey? At all. But I've heard of, like, Son of Sam. You know what I mean? Well, um, he was actually in New York at the same time Son of Sam was active. And so it was originally, potentially, Son of Sam was originally blamed for his two murders before they found out it didn't fit Son of Sam's profile. Right. But originally, I think in that time, they like murdered woman. They're like Son of Son Sam. Son of Sam, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Crazy. Wow. It, it, it's, so in, um, it's so interesting that like he, he, this trial just went on for so long. From 1979, I think he was arrested. I've forgotten that God date now. Damn. That's insane. So he's arrested. I just realized he was arrested on July 24th and he died on July 24th. Oh, wow. So there he's arrested go. July 24th, 1979 and finally tried with a verdict that sticks in 2010. I love that he represented himself as well. That's just fantastic. I mean, look... If I had murdered people and I'd been found guilty twice and I was like, I mean, I'm pretty sure the case has only yeah. gotten stronger in the 30 exactly. years they've, they've had found to pull more it together. Cases. I was like, why not have some fun yeah. with this? Yeah. Well, like, let's just fucking play some Let's give it a go. Yeah. He went to acting classes. Yeah. He, knew he was like, <laughs> like, he just wanted go. to live out his Jack Nicholson, you yeah. can't handle the truth fantasy. Exactly. 
Incredible. But I couldn't get over the fact that not only – because I feel like it's one thing to represent yourself in court. Like Ted Bundy did it. I'm sure yeah. there's lots of other people that oh, did it. Oh, yes. The yeah. fact that he asked himself questions in a put-on voice yeah. and then answered the questions in his own voice. It's like, like Charles he, Manson-esque. He was like playing Drank. a part. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Incredible. Well, thank you guys for sticking around for the main cases of the show. We are now on to our post-show where we kind of fluff on a bit. If that's not your thing, then we'll see you guys next week. However, for all the rest of you cool cats and kittens, welcome. Hey, cool cats and kittens. Um, Yeah, very, very interesting cases this week. Yours was very sad. I don't know. I don't know what it is about. Obviously, it's it's awful and it's so sad when it's someone like Rodney Ancala who has killed and raped multiple women. But I don't know why there's something so sad when it's just a single a single. Case. I think woman. it's because there's more of a spotlight on the individual involved. Mm. When there's multiple, it becomes overwhelming to think about every single victim. Yeah, like when you hear of. Son of Sam, like, how quickly can you think of, like, a victim's name? Because there's just so... There's just a, a decent amount of them. Yeah, that's true. You know true. what I mean? Like, it's... it's Those kind of cases where the name sticks with you, the face sticks with you because there's one. How can you not visualize it and, and mm. memorize it? When there's 16, it's like... It just melds into one thing. Yeah. Not to, like... Not to, like, you know, belittle... The victims, because we would never do that, but it's a me- it's a thing that we do as human beings with our psyche and our, and our mentality mm. of thinking about these things. It's much more visual having the one case than eighteen, um, and that's mm. why I think it sort of hits more, especially recent ones as well. Like this three years ago, three yeah, years it ago. It is kind of wild as well hearing the difference in how quickly someone can get caught. Yeah. So, it's so fucking fascinating because literally everything except for, like, maybe insignificant parts of him walking through the city and then in the actual room is captured. Mm. Like, nearly every aspect of it is captured on CCTV footage. And that's why just, like, sorry if you're an anti-vax person. I don't know why you would listen to our podcast because I really don't think that's... Clearly, we're not your demographic, but that's why I don't. That's why I genuinely don't understand people who are like, "There's a microchip in the vaccine, dude." If you've walked on the street and you've got a smartphone, like they've already got you, they're already tracking you. We have facial recognition that is like so smart and so like you're so easily identified. Like if you've walked down the street, they're already tracking you. Like I'm not worried about. Putting a chip, like put a chip in my arm. I don't care. Like, if the Casey Anthony and um, Chris Watts cases have taught us anything, it's that anything we do can be found. Mm-hmm. That's literally the job of detectives and police. They can find literally anything we've done. Yep. That's the idea. So if someone wants to find out your location, and they trace, you know, your internet history, your footprint, or they want to know. I mean, like fucking Facebook does it. Facebook learns things that you like, and it gives you advertisements for what it is. Mm. And like, there is a conspiracy that you know governments are selling information to companies, whatever. Yeah. But the idea that like they're using vaccines to monitor you or control so you stupid. is insane. Because if that's your argument, then don't drink the tap water. Don't own a smartphone. Yeah. Don't eat the food that comes from livestock. Don't drink alcohol. Don't drink alcohol Don't because all of that- anything with preservatives in it. All of that is a subsidy of the government. That exactly. all comes back to them. So, and if there was going to be some sort of monitoring system, I think it would be in the water rather than a vaccine. Well, I was actually thinking the other day. Sorry, we're going to get into some kind of like weird conspiracy This is, this is what we do. Here. This is what we do. Because I was actually thinking about this when I was- um, putting the dishes away the other day. if Because a lot of people have this uh, 
conspiracy that COVID is like a population control thing. Well, it is for Mother Nature trying to control the population. Yeah, but people think it's a thing. I was like, A, if they were going to do population control, they'd need to do it a lot more. Like if it was a population control, a lot more people would have died. Like mark my words. Also, they have cancer. Like, if they wanted to do a population control thing, they already have an established disease Yeah, that they could just be like, oh, he died of... Do you know what I mean? Or some sort of, like, biochemical terrorism thing. Exactly. Like, Like everyone loves a good terrorism plot. Like, all they'd have to do is, like, put anthrax in the air and people would believe it was Al-Qaeda. But also, I don't think the government wants to control the population numbers because more people equates to more money. More money, exactly. And higher economy. People also don't seem to get that. I'm like, yeah. the the whole you're an if idiot. the housing crisis in everywhere should tell you anything, it's that we don't have enough people for the houses that we have. So there's a rapid increase on uh, construction of apartment buildings and houses. Mm. And that then equates to more money for the government, more money for the banks, and more money for real estate. Exactly, which is exactly what they want. They want more and more people. So they can sell more of that stuff. Like there's, there's no population control. I don't. It, it literally just takes like one second of going. Is this dumb? And you go, oh yeah, there's a bit fucking dumb, isn't it? Also, people seem to forget that like a pandemic is not a new thing. Like no, like hell no. Have you not heard of the, the black, black plague? plague? Like the pneumonic plague. Just U- it just doesn't make sense. I think the bubonic plague was the black plague. Was that what it is? Yeah, okay, cool. Sure. Nice. Love that. Just, yeah, I just, <clears throat> it just seems so dumb to me. Yeah. And you know what? People will probably be like, you're a sheep. And I'm like, okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah. You're probably one of the persons Pretty sure that... sheep are smarter than you, so I'll take yeah. that as a compliment. Yeah. Yes. You can call us sheep all you want, but you're the ones who are marching through the streets trying to end the restrictions and... Look, I'll say one more thing on this topic okay. and then I'm going to drop it. The people I know in real life who believe that COVID is a hoax or this lockdown is a hoax also happen to be the dumbest people I've ever met in real life. Lovely people, but dumb as a fucking doorknob. That can't be a coincidence. There's a whole psychology behind it. Like, there's this whole thing of there were people growing up who didn't have much of a voice in like high schools or in their families. They're like middle children, younger children, maybe younger Mm. children. And so when they're presented with this information that they might be right about something, whereas 90% of the population is wrong about it, they hone in on it because finally their voices will be heard. Mm-hmm. I'm the person who figured out Bigfoot's real. I'm the person that figured out the yeah, fish were I gay. I figured it out. I'm so clever. Yeah. No, you're really not. Look, I mean, listen to your Alex Jones podcast and just chill out, bro. I don't mind a good <coughs> conspiracy theory. There's no, quite a few no, conspiracy theories and, that I buy into. Yeah, but there's so much fun to look into as well. But there's also a lot of legitimate evidential based things that go yep. into the conspiracy sure. theories that I buy into. Yep. This is just like wh- what evidence do you actually have? Yeah, yeah. It's it's insane. Anyway, um what I was sort of going into was just how amazing it is that literally every single facet of this thing was captured. Um not only because of the time it was sort of set in, but being in a major city with a lot of shops around, a lot of banks, a lot of cameras, mm. just in a major city. It's insane. Um, and just how quickly they sort of found him because of such. And it was also text messages that um, he put out on his yeah, phone. everything's trackable, everything's yeah. traceable, everything's Literally. accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Well... There was something I was going to say. Was there? And I just blanked on it. Oh, no. Yeah. Was it important? Probably not. Probably not. No. It was about the case. Um, It is what it is. What else? I can say that the other podcast I will be doing will be officially released on August the 11th. So keep your eye out for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure we'll be like properly sharing everything once it's up. 
but it's a little show of horrors. If you love horror movies, then you're going to like this podcast. Yeah. And it's out on August 11th and I'm yeah. very excited. Make sure you check that out. Um, there are a lot of cases that we're sort of looking into that we think are interesting, but we would love to hear from you guys about any cases that you think we should cover because it's always helpful because sometimes we get a bit stuck. It's like, there's just so many, which one do you choose? Yeah. And at the end of the day, like we obviously do this show because we enjoy it, but we also, a big part of the reason we do the show is because of you guys and because you like yeah. listening um, to it. So if there's certain cases that mm-hmm. you want us to do, we did get another case sent through on Instagram, which I was going to be doing this right. week. And then I decided to do Rodney Arcala instead. Yeah. But we we really love when you send suggestions. Yeah. And so one way or another, we will eventually, we'll get, eventually to get, get to them. We'll eventually get to them. Um, I just remember what I was going to say about... Um, about my case with mm. Jesse. Um, b- because of the whole thing with his mum moving away to Australia mm. and the separation between him and his mother and his family splitting up. Uh, also, growing up with a stepmother, I think personally that he had just a sort of deep-seated hatred towards women Oh, and yes. you can sort of see that through his like sexual assault history, his violence, sexual tendencies, um, and eventually leading to like literally killing someone and either through it or afterwards looking up porn, mm. being aroused by such. It's clear that he had some sort of deep seated thing of hatred yeah. towards women. It's a it's a very like Ed Kemper thing, except yeah. it's more so that I think he knew what he was doing rather. Whereas Ed Kemper was kind of like, once he had murdered a few women, he realized, got, oh, yeah, I hate my mom and I want to kill my mom, and then that was it. You know yeah, what I mean? True. Where I feel like this is just like this mental like hatred towards women because of what happened with his family. Mm. Just, just like, dude, just go to therapy, like. Yeah. There's a lot of mental issues with this person in particular. The pathological lying, the um, the whole like... It was kind of similar to your story where the, the lies are sort of like almost imaginations of what he would want to be mm. or who he would rather be. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's it's very fascinating, I find. I feel like we've both run out of it. Normally we're very like hyper and chipper towards the end. I feel like we're both running out of steam a little bit mentally. Yeah. I mean, it is look we're like we're going on to maybe four more weeks of lockdown. Yeah. Um if you haven't seen, there are people protesting the lockdown and the restrictions and the validity validity of COVID and the validity of vaccines and mask wearing and just the sheer march and protest alone is putting the numbers more at risk and putting more people at risk because as you probably do or don't know, we have one of the lowest percentages of people vaccinated per population and we have one of the slowest and most piss poor vaccine rollouts in of any country we love to see it um and things like this are kind of just pushing us back more and more and more so it seems like there's no real end it feels like there's no end in sight it really does although if there is a positive that i can say we have booked in our vaccinations we have. We are we're getting the jab. We're getting the Pfizer vaccination. Twenty fourth of August. Of August, yeah. Our first one, and then September is our second one. So, so that will be very nice. That's good, to- and hopefully, we're sort of t- we're telling everyone that we know to book in, and it's looking like everyone so far that I know has booked in and has gotten a booking in. So it looks pretty good. Hopefully, pretty soon 
we can get that percentage over 50 and things start going back to at least the way they were before this current lockdown. You know, still cautious and still whatnot. But, but yes, if we do take a break or take a week off, please understand it's purely because we're going insane. Yeah, we'll let you know, but it's just, um, it is a bit mentally jarring. We'll get there. It'll yeah. be okay. We'll get there. Yeah. But yeah, it's just been a bit tough after having normal life back for nearly six months, essentially. Yeah. And then to go back to this, but. It is what it is. You just got to keep taking it day by day. So. Yeah. So whatever. Um, We'll be all right. We'll just keep doing our thing. We'll start a new podcast every time we feel down. Yeah. Keep on keeping on. I'll leave this lockdown with 17 podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, let's wrap it up there because I just want to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's the code word? The code word for today is mango. Mango. Oh, yeah, and also thank you, everyone, who gave us last week's Cactus word. Banger. Cactus yes. Banger. I saw a lot of bangers. Thank you to everyone who always messages us. As usual, we would love it if you would share the show with anyone who will listen. And if you haven't already, leave us a good review. Because uh, as much as we hate the review system, it does genuinely help in terms of yeah. how we rank on the charts and then, therefore, how many more people see the show. Yeah. So we would love it if you'd help us grow our little baby and yeah thank you for tuning in thanks thanks to you specifically not the audience but to you listening right now you individually talking to you thank you and if you you're listening you'll know who you are you know who you are it's all of you no you specifically (laughs) you're you're separate from the pack let's call it let's go to bed yeah or Watch some television. Or something. Because I have not stopped working since <laughs> I sat down at my computer. Yeah. I need a little break. Over 12 hours ago. Yeah. And I am tired, so. All right. ASMR outro. Bye. Thank you so much for joining Best Served Cold. As usual, you can find us at the BSC Podcast on all good social media platforms. This is the sound of me burying a corpse. Hydrofluoric acid to the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs>